was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it was scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried, who'll start the bin for me? A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two, two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and he tightened the loosened strings, he played a melody as pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer said with a voice that was quiet and low, now what am I bidding for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars and who'll make it two, two thousand and who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going, going, gone, said he. The people cheered, but then some of them cried. We don't quite understand what changed its worth. Quick came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is often cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of the soul and the changes wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Good morning. I am so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful that you allowed Veronica and I to come hang out with you this morning. It is a pleasure for us. I thank you so much for the good song service and for the worship. We have a rather small congregation, and it is so nice to hear voices of all different kinds just going through the rafters. I just love it so much. And I thank you for the um, opening. I, if anyone can appreciate what a difference the sun makes, it's us in central Illinois, right? I mean, we have days like today where it's just gray and drizzly for week after week, but then the sun comes out, and you just go, oh, what a difference the sun makes. But of course, um, we're going to talk about what a difference the S-O-N makes today. And the thing I love most about our Jesus is he didn't go to just the affluent. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter where you are, the grace of Jesus extends to you. And that's why I read this poem, The Touch of the Master's Hand, because so many people just pass by that just tossed aside like garbage, but Jesus would have none of that. And it seems like some of the most morally corrupt people were the ones that attracted Jesus the most. You ever think about that? For example, Jesus put his disciples in a boat one day and he traveled across the lake to the land of the Gerasenes just so he could cast out a legion of demons from a demon-possessed man. And that man became the first Christian missionary. Because you remember, after Jesus cast him into the pigs, they all went running over the cliff, and the people come running out and said, Go away! Leave us! They were afraid. But the next time he came back, everybody ran out and said, Please stay! Please stay! Please stay! What was the difference? The demon-possessed man went from the ten cities to people to people to people, telling what a difference Jesus made in my life. And when he came back, they wanted some of it. You know, they had to have some of that stuff. Jesus took a woman and um, cast out seven demons, you remember, and Mary. 
And we don't know a lot about Mary's past. The Bible, you know, we speculate. We wonder what kind of woman she was before Jesus cast out the demons. But what we do know this is she was one of the ones that was there at the cross. She was the first one there at the resurrection. And hers was the first name that Jesus spoke after he was resurrected. He called her by name, remember, Mary. And then she recognized him. And, of course, Jesus was not opposed to having dinner or spend time in tax collectors' homes, right? Two tax collectors in particular that are mentioned is Matthew, who became an apostle, and Zacchaeus, who was a robber and a thief who stole money from lots and lots of people and then became the philanthropist of the day because he couldn't wait to pay it all back. He couldn't wait. Why? What was the difference? The touch of the master's hand. And I suppose um, while we're looking at degenerates, I could look at myself. <laughs> when I graduated high school, I was not a nice person. I was uh, morally corrupt. I lived, for no, I lived for one person, me. And I did some things I'm not proud of. And then one day, one day, at a revival meeting, I was helping park cars. Actually, it wasn't during the meeting itself. I was helping park cars, and the Lord spoke to my heart. And it changed everything. What a difference the sun made in my life. And it, it reminds me of the old song. I know uh, I don't know if you remember it, but the old song, Oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. Well, I just can't explain it. And I cannot tell you why, but oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. And I've been living just the dream ever since. So this morning we're going to look in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And we find someone who here who fits this description pretty well whose life would be forever changed. In the first three verses of chapter 4 of John, we read that Jesus is leaving from Judea to go to Galilee because there's already opposition, especially from the Pharisees. So we read in verse 4 of chapter of John 4. So Jesus left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. It's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? He had to go through Samaria. Notice it says he has to go. Some translations say he needed to go. Well, why? What's significant about that? Well, if you was to look at a map, to go from Judea to Samaria, you go straight north, right? You go here, here. But here's the thing. Samaria is right in the middle. So why, the, why, did he have, why does it say he had to go through Samaria? Well, think of it this way. Suppose you were going to go from Dewey to Gifford, right? You're going to go from Dewey to Gifford, you'd travel through Rantoul, right? No big deal. But here's the thing. Jews in that day didn't travel through Samaria. The Jews despised the Samaritans. It goes clear back to the Old Testament. Remember the Assyrians came in and they occupied the land and some of the Jews, they intermarried with the Assyrians and created a mixed race. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. They considered them vile. They considered them impure as a result of that mixed race. And, believe it or not, the Samaritans didn't care, care much for the Jews either. And in 200 B.C., they built a temple of their own in Gerizim, a place of worship. And, of course, the Jews only believed you could worship in Jerusalem. That was the only place. And the dislike was so bad that no self-respecting Jew would travel through Samaria. And what's so interesting in the text that we read that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's almost like he didn't have a choice. Reading 5 through 8 of John, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy food. So Jesus is traveling with, a Samaritan, or with his disciples, and they came to Sakar, and it's hot and tired, so he rests. And while he's resting, a Samaritan woman comes by to draw water. And if she noticed him, it's not clear because she ignored him. Maybe she noticed his prayer shawl, which was more than enough to tell her to keep quiet. This man's a Jew. And the story raises another question, an interesting question. What was a woman doing at this well at noontime? See, in culture that day, women usually would draw the water once of two times a day, either early in the morning when it's cool or in the evening when it's cool. And this is Jacob's well. This is like a mile or two out of town. Why would she walk all the way out of town at noon to draw water to take all the way back? It doesn't make sense. So why'd she do it? Well, maybe she wanted to avoid the uncomfortable glances and the stares and the whispers she received from the other women. Maybe she was like the old violin in the story. She was hardly worth her while. Or maybe she just was carrying such a load of guilt and shame that she was burdened so much that she didn't really want to be around people. So she came all the way out to Jacob's well to make sure she was alone. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. Do you remember when Jesus sometimes would touch people to heal them? And the religious says, oh, you can't do that. You'll become unclean. You can't touch that person. Law forbid it. Rabbis can't touch that person. Well, Jesus does something here that's even more unthinkable. He speaks to her. He actually speaks to her. Why is this so unthinkable? Well, first, she's a woman. He's a Jew. Jewish men did not speak to women. They didn't know. They just didn't do it. And second, she's a Samaritan woman. Now, I don't want to overstate this point, but what's going on is just unique. Jesus is talking to a woman he doesn't know in a land that is considered unclean, even pagan. And even later, we read that the disciples come back. They're astonished. They come back with the food. They're, what's he doing? He's talking to that woman. You know, let's pause here for just a second, if we could. Sometimes I have to ask myself this question, and maybe, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but are there any Samaritans in my life? Are there any people in my life that I avoid for some reason? Is there any people in my life that I just don't want to hang around with that I avoid? You know, when we were kids, I was an awful kid. We, there were certain kids, you know, that you didn't play with. You didn't talk to. You didn't. In fact, if you touched them, ooh, you'll get cooties, right? Remember, did anybody else do that, or was it just me? And, and it was awful. And, and, but as adults, is there anyone that we judge before we really know them? Is there anyone that just by the virtue of their last name or their politics or their whatever, do we avoid them? Well, Jesus wouldn't have any of that. Jesus crossed that border and he entered to a land that is considered to be unclean and he talks to an unknown woman, even when the culture says that he shouldn't. And he wants us to do the same thing, right? Jesus wants us to tear down the walls of indifference. You know, our nation's divided. There's so much indifference. Jesus don't want us to judge people till we know them. Jesus wants us to be open and loving. So from time to time, it's probably not a bad idea to ask ourselves, are there any Samaritans in my life? Is there anyone I don't associate with for because any reason? 
There's an old Casting Crown song that says, Jesus paid much too high a price for us to pick and choose who should come because we are the body of Christ. Okay. So Jesus speaks and notice what he says. Please give me a drink. Pretty basic, right? Can I have a drink? It's hot. He's been walking. He's thirsty. He asked for a drink. I love the example Jesus gives us here. We can learn from this. He starts the conversation with a Samaritan woman where he finds her. Jesus finds her at a well. He asks her about something she understands, water, please give me a drink. It's important for us to understand that Jesus met people where they were at. He spoke to them about things they understood. Do you remember what he told the fishermen when he called them? Follow me and I will what? Fishers of men. And when he met with Zacchaeus, you know, what did he say? Did he say, Zach, you know, I'm going to be talking down at the Civic Center later today. Maybe you should stop by and listen to what I have to say. He said, no, Zacchaeus, we're going to go to your house. We're going to go hang out right now. And here he encounters a woman at the well, and he asks her for a drink. And the woman was surprised, it says in verses 9 and 10. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why would you ask me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God has for you and who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Don't you love Jesus' response to this question? We see a little bit of the heart of Jesus here. Four little words, right? If you only knew. If you only knew God's gift for you and who I am, oh, if you only knew. Isn't that how we feel about people we love and care about? We all have someone in our life that's going the wrong way, and we just want to grab them and hug them and shake them. Oh, if you only knew the joy and the contentment that you would have. Oh, if you only knew the peace that coming from knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord. Oh, if you only knew the overwhelming love that you would have from Jesus. Oh, if you only knew. If you only knew the difference a son could make in your life. If you only knew how much better your life could be. Oh, if you only knew how beautiful heaven's going to be. Oh, if you only knew. So many people are searching for something to bring them joy and contentment. People I know and love. People you know and love. And they're looking in all the wrong places. They're looking in places that always leaves you wanting more. That's the thing about sin. Sin is never satisfied. They say sin and fire is like the same. It's never satisfied. It wants more, more, more. And sin always leaves you wanting more. Some people think money, and they work all kinds of hours, but there's never enough money. Some people turn to the bottle and to drugs, but the more you take, the more it takes to just to dull the pain from what's missing in your life. Some seek carnal pleasures, but that only leaves you wanting more because sin is never satisfied. Sin always leaves you wanting for more. And sometimes I have family members, and I just want to hug them, and I just want to squeeze them and say, oh, if you only knew, if you only knew what would satisfy the longing of your soul. But how can they know if someone doesn't tell them, right? Romans 10, 13 through 15 says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And can, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go to them tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And that's what Jesus does. He tells her. 
He tells her, if you only knew the good news, if you only knew who I was, you would ask me, and look at this, he says, you would ask me and I'd give you living water. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? All we have to do is ask. And look how Jesus describes the living water. Verses 13 and 14. People soon become thirsty after drinking this water, the water from the well, but the water I give them takes away their thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring, giving them eternal life. And this water that Jesus is talking about, of course, is not well water, is it? It's not ordinary water. He's telling her that the source of this water will make her flow and never thirst again. And then she replies when she hears this in verse 15. She says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here and get water. She didn't quite get it, see? She wanted to avoid the problem. She says, I don't want to have to walk all the way out to this well at noontime every day just to avoid the people. Tell me where I can get this water and I can just stay home. I don't have to go out and be around people. But the problem that she has is much bigger than that, isn't it? It's much bigger than where she has to go get water. Jesus came to this well for a particular reason. So Jesus decides to press her a little bit. Look at the next two verses, 17 and 18. Jesus says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you're not married to the man you're living with now. You certainly told the truth. You know, this conversation, as they say, just got real, didn't it? We see here in this woman at the well someone who's seeking. And what's she seeking? She's seeking love. She's seeking acceptance. She's seeking security and contentment and peace of mind and joy and hope and all the things she never found in the man she's married to or the man she's living with now. In fact, she probably knew just the opposite. She had probably been abused and neglected and taken advantage of all of her life. And so for this Samaritan woman, this becomes a defining moment. Jesus knows the things she's seeking, and he knows where to find it. But if you want the living water that Jesus talks about, if you want to clinch the longing of your soul and satisfy your heart's desire, guess what? At some point in your life, you've got to deal with sin. You've got to deal with the sin in your life. You can't wish it didn't happen. You can't wish it would go away. You can't keep going to the well every day at noon. You can't pray it. You know, you have to face it head on. And notice the gracious way that Jesus has allowed her to do this. He didn't accuse her. He didn't start quoting scripture. He didn't start telling her about promiscuous lifestyle. He didn't start talking to her about adultery. He didn't start. He said, go get your husband. So he let her reply. And notice her response after Jesus reveals all these private things in her life. Sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist on that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it to be here on Mount Gezerim, where our ancestors worshipped. Why do you think she suddenly became so interested in the correct place to worship? Why do you think she suddenly decided to start asking questions? You know, I looked it up, the concordance in my Bible, you know, and then the, I got a study Bible. The little subnote says that a lot of scholars say that they think that she was so uncomfortable talking about herself, she's trying to change the subject. She's trying to get it on to something else. You know, let's don't talk about me. Let's talk about this, you know, because I don't really like talking about me. Or maybe she really wanted to know. I mean, if you think about it, this is no typical day. Here's a man, a Jewish man, 
a Jewish man who obviously is a prophet, and he sits down and he does the unthinkable. He speaks to her, and he asks her for a drink, and then he offers her living water, and now he's able to tell us the darkest secrets of her life. And she recognizes this isn't no ordinary guy. This is no ordinary day. Think about it. She has no place to worship. She's not accepted in her hometown. She certainly wouldn't be accepted in Jerusalem. So I think she wants to know, where can I go to worship? And Jesus gives her a great answer, one I'm not quite sure she understands. Uh, Verses 21 through 24. Believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer sorry. Well, it will no longer matter where you worship the Father, here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship, while Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. And here's the good part. But the time is coming and is already here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus takes the time to answer her question in a very profound and prophetic way. What he's telling her, he's saying soon, it won't matter what temple you worship in. In fact, soon you won't even have to go to a worship, uh, to a temple to worship. Think about that. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, what happened? The veil in the temple that separated the holy of holies from the rest, it's torn in two from top to bottom, right? You know what that means? God changed his address the day that Jesus died on the cross. God doesn't live behind a veil in a temple anymore. So where does he live? The Bible says in Romans that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit that brought Jesus back to life brings you back to life. So wherever the Father is, we can worship. I mean, this is incredible news. This is amazing, not just for this woman, but for us. Think about it. We can go to God anytime, any place, anywhere that we have a problem. We don't have to go to the high priest with a lamb under our arm to offer up forgiveness for sin. We can say, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry for my life. I'm so sorry what I've done. Please forgive me. Please lead me through this time of difficulty I'm having. Oh, just cry out and he'll hear you. He's there. He's right there in your heart. Great news. And what happens next is really remarkable in verse 25 and 26. The woman says, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Do you realize the tremendous blessing that Jesus gave to this Samaritan woman? Do you remember Simeon, the righteous man in the Gospels when Jesus was born? Simeon had prayed, had been a devout man all of his life, and God promised Simeon that you will not taste death until you see the Messiah. And Mary goes to the temple that day, and he lays, she lays Jesus in Simeon's arms. And Simeon begins praising God and says, Now I can die in peace. I have seen the Savior. To meet the Messiah is not a small thing. Whether you hold him in your arms or encounter him at a well, it's no small thing. And the fact that Jesus chose to reveal himself not only to a strange woman, but a Samaritan woman. Not only a Samaritan woman, but one that is a social outcast. is just so amazing. But isn't it just like Jesus? Isn't this what Jesus does? Doesn't he go to, Jesus says, I came to seek and save those who are lost. I came to fix those who are sick. I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. It's just like Jesus to do this. 
And here's a woman who's seeking for all the things that honestly the world or no one else can give her. And Jesus gives her the greatest gift of all, doesn't he? He gives her himself. Jesus gives her a drink of the living water, and what a difference. What a difference it makes in her life. Look what she does next in verses 28 through 30. The woman left her jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? You know, I'm sorry, but my imagination goes crazy. See, I don't know. When I read, I see things. You know, I live, I get right there in the story. And I can just see this woman. She's so excited. She don't even bother with the water that she went to get. She goes running into town. And the first person she sees, good news, good news. I saw a man. He knew all about me. He said he's a Messiah. Come and see, come and see. And then she sees someone else and she goes, good news, good news. I just met a man. He told me all about me. I think he might be Messiah. Come and see, come and see. And everyone she sees, she runs up and tells her, this great news. I gotta, you got to come see him. I met a man at Jacob's well. I think he's the Messiah. Come and see. And she goes all over town and she tells everyone, I believe that when she didn't see anyone on the street, she started knocking on her, hey, you got to come, you got to come, you got to come. She drank from the water that springs forth, never in supply. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. She was not only filled, she was overflowing. The good news of Jesus Christ was flow and she couldn't wait to tell people about him. And you know what the amazing thing is? People listened. People who had probably never listened to this woman before, probably never even considered her. They listened, and guess what? They followed her. This is the last person you'd think would ever lead anyone to Jesus. And they heard her message, they heard her testimony, and they followed her. And the people saw Jesus, and they met him, and they begged him to stay. And the Bible says that Jesus had to go to Samaria, right? He had to meet someone whose society had thrown away. And because of the difference he made in her life, many people were saved. What a difference Jesus makes in our lives. And before we close, I have uh, just one more little scripture here. It's towards the end. It's verses 31 through 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. No, he said, I have found food you don't know about. Who brought it to him? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Isn't that something? Jesus comes to this well and he's tired and he's hungry and he's thirsty. Without even taking a drink of water or a bite of food, he's satisfied. See, there's things that can satisfy so much more than things we taste or touch or feel. There's joy and peace and contentment in serving Jesus. It, it fills the deepest longing in our soul. And the best way we can serve him is by relating to the people the way he did. You know, there's so many people in the world, in our community, that are seeking. There's so many trying to find happiness and looking in all the wrong places. And granted, some's different than we are, some might not vote the way we vote. No, I'm kidding. Some might not like the things we like. Some might look a little different, might wear their hair different, might have tattoos all over. But hey, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. Like the old violin, what a difference Jesus makes. See, you and I, we've been touched by the Master's hand. We've been to the well. Jesus has made a difference in our life. We've tasted and we've received this living water. But let me ask you, 
Is that good news gushing, gushing from you like a living spring of never-ending water? Is the good news springing from you in such a way that people sit and say, Wow, what's going on in his life? I want some of that. You know, when I was younger, when I was, my kids were younger, I always prayed, God, would you raise up a champion in my kid's life? Because I don't seem to be getting to them. Would you raise up a champion, someone to speak to my children or my loved ones that they can relate to better than me? And one day I was praying that, and it hit me, and it's like God spoke to my heart. He says, well, maybe you're a champion to someone else who's praying today. Maybe there's someone today that's asking for, Lord, would you just raise up someone that will speak to my, that can relate to my family, to relate my son to my daughter? Would you please raise someone up for them? And maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. The Bible says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Samaria. Christians, we've got to go beyond the walls of the church. We may even have to go beyond the walls of those who are socially accepted because the only way we can write to people the way Jesus did, and really what he's saying is the only way we can love people the way Jesus did is by going to them. Amen? Thank you.